our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I remember a few things from college, not a whole lot, but I remember a few things from college. And I remember in sociology class, my professor saying that there's one phrase that every kid in every culture around the world says. And this is the phrase. Tell me a story. Tell me a story. Everybody loves a good story. And so we're talking about Jesus at the movies because movies are, at their essence, a powerful mode of communication to tell a story. And it doesn't matter how good the actors and actresses are. It doesn't matter how good the special effects are, how good the cinematography is. If it's not a good story, it's not a good movie. But a good story can make a great movie. And a good story, they all have common themes. Good stories talk about redemption. Good stories talk about identity. Good stories talk about a purpose for living. Why, why are we here and what are we doing? Good stories all have those themes. And sometimes a good story will align itself with God's word just nicely. And, and sometimes they don't. And so we're going to take some time looking at some good stories and saying, okay, this is how it aligns with Jesus and, and the gospel and good news. And this is how it doesn't align. And we're going to be just discerners of culture and see where Jesus is speaking and see how we can use culture to share Jesus to those around you where you live and work and play. And so the first movie up is this one. I hope you like it. It's one of my favorites. It's The Breakfast Club. You know that one? How many, how many of you have seen The Breakfast Club? Okay, good deal. All right, so most of you. If you haven't seen The Breakfast Club, here's the brief synopsis. There are five high school kids, and all of them are stuck in detention. And it's detention for all day Saturday. Is that even legal anymore? In the 80s, that was legal. But I don't think it's legal anymore. So these five kids are stuck in detention all day. And while they're stuck there, they, they, have, to, they have to figure things out. They have to figure each other out because they're completely different. One of them is a 4.0 student. Uh, another one is the star wrestler for the high school. Another one is, um, she describes herself as a basket case who hardly speaks. Um, still another is the homecoming queen. And of course you have the cool troublemaking kid, right? And these five kids are stuck together in detention on a Saturday all day. And throughout the movie, they wrestle with this issue. Who are you? Are you who your parents say you are? Are you who the people at school think you are? Or is there something more to who you are? That's the Breakfast Club. Hope I didn't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to show the closing scene, which is going to ruin the movie for you. But it's still a good movie. You should still check it out. So uh, the movie concludes with this scene, and it also concludes with the greatest song of any movie soundtrack ever. So here it is. And I hit the button, I think Zach hit the button at the same time, so here. Dear Mr. Vernon. Uh, Zach. Uh, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. 
the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, and an athlete, and a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Cool movie. Good scene. Good scene. And so at the end, you have to write this essay to the prince, uh, the dean of students, saying, "This is who are you?" They say, "You know, we are more than our labels." And what they find out is this: is throughout the movie, they find out that they cannot discover who they really are without, with, apart from the context of relationship. That you're more than a label, but you find out who you truly are through authentic friendships and relationships with the people around you. That's how you discover your identity. Because that's how it works. That's how it worked for you. There are core people who speak into your life and they help define, help you define who you really are. And it begins. It begins in the womb. It begins from day one. Sorry, Sarah. From day one, you'll be speaking into this baby's life and saying, this is who you are. So from day one, you speak into this baby's life and say, you are loved. I'm going to take care of you. That becomes part of their identity. And so parents are the first ones who speak into your life and tell you who you are. And after that, it becomes siblings, your brothers and your sisters. They speak into your life and they tell you who you are, which is why birth order becomes so important. Raise your hand if you're firstborn. Yeah, because firstborns are like, yes. <laughs> yes. Raise your hand if you are the last child in your family. You guys are like, yeah. <laughs> and raise your hand. What's, what's the other ones? Oh, yeah, the middle child. Yeah, raise your hand if you're the middle child and you're like completely forgotten and you hate everyone for it and you remind people, I'm the middle child. Yeah. Because siblings speak into your life and their birth order becomes important because it becomes part of your identity. It's who you think you are. And the next become friends. You know, middle school, high school, those friends become so important. And they speak into your life and define who you are. I think it's different these days, but when I was in high school, you were defined by the music you listened to. And you could be like, you could look at the lunch tables at my high school from 300 yards away, and you could tell where everyone was sitting. Because the metalheads all sat on one side, and the metalheads wore black and leather, right? And they had scowls in their faces all the time. They were the metalheads, right? And the punkers sat next to them. And the punkers, they wore black, but with like lots of colors, like reds and purples, you know, but, but black with colors, right? And then next to them was like the pop group. You know, they were, in, in my high school, they were like all pastels, Miami Vice days, with the, the white jeans and the cuffs rolled up, you know? So from 300 yards away, you'd be like, I know where everyone's sitting, because I can tell the colors. And your friends spoke into you. They helped define who you thought you are. And they get older, and then work starts to define who you are, and bosses, and coworkers, and people you work for, and people you manage, and customers, and they all start speaking into your life and framing who you are. And if you don't believe me, let me ask you this question. When you meet someone for the first time, what do you ask them? Their name, and what do you do? It's part of your identity. So we discover identity through relationships. And sometimes this is a good thing. 
If you have good people speaking truth into your life, it's great. And sometimes it's not so good a thing. If you have people who are not speaking truth into your life, if they're saying things that are not correct and that are wrong and that are mean and that are unkind, that's not such a good thing. And the horrible things that people say about you or may have said about you in the past when you're growing up or in high school or wherever, it's not true. It's not true. And this is how we know this. Because parents and siblings and friends and at work are not the only way that your identity gets formed. There's another way too. And that's through God. God speaks into your identity and who you are first through creation. You are created. And there's lots of debates about how that exactly happened, but what we know, I believe, is undeniable is this, that God is first cause, that God is in charge, that God created and designed you. Because for it to happen any other way would be more faith than I can muster. You're created. You're designed. You're here for a reason and for a purpose. And that's where God helps shape your identity. The second is this, is that you're redeemed. Jesus Christ redeemed you. By his death on the cross for your sin and for mine, he bought you back and made you his and part of his family. Mike read that for us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you that you might be called children of God. Isn't that beautiful? And it speaks to how God calls you his own. And God adopts you through baptism. In the Bible, it often talks about baptism as adoption. That you're adopted into a new family. That you're adopted into God's family. And that he calls you his child and his beloved. That's identity. It's who you are. It's why you're here. And so there are many things, or many people who have spoken into you and have helped form your identity, but the biggest and greatest should be this, is Jesus Christ who created, who redeemed, and who had called you his own and adopted you into his family. That's who you are. So how does this work out in daily life? It's a great uh, example from the writer Tish Warren. You get ready for work. You're getting ready for work, and you're getting the lunch made, and you've got kids, you're getting kids all set. And you get ready to walk out the door, and you go to the spot where you keep your keys. The keys are not there. Ever happen to anyone? Yeah, it happens to everybody, right? Okay. So you go to the keys aren't there, right? And what's the first thing you do? You start going, okay, I can I gotta find my keys. Where did I last see them, right? So you start retracing your steps, right? So I'm going to look here. There's no keys here. I'll check the jacket I last wore. No, the keys aren't there. You start doing all the logical things where the keys might be. And you can't find your keys. You've been there? Yeah, all right. And then it starts. You move from logic into self-condemnation. 
right? Man, my, my day is ruined. I am now five minutes late, which means the whole day is ruined, right? I can't find my keys. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. My day's shot, right? And then you go to the third step. And the third step is blame. Not only are you an idiot, everyone you live with is an idiot, right? Because obviously one of them moved your keys, right? And so you start asking around, have you seen my keys? And they go, no, no. Where did you last put them? And you're like, you know what? <laughs> I'll tell you where I last put them. Because now losing your keys isn't just about a two-inch piece of metal. Now it's a theological and existential crisis, right? <laughs> You are a moron. The people you live with are morons because you can't find your keys. And now your identity is wrapped up in a two-inch piece of metal. So you go from blame to desperation, right? You start checking everywhere. You start opening the fridge, you know, checking the dog dish. You're checking everywhere, checking those pants you wore for the third time. You're like, yeah, well, oh man, it's absolute desperation. And then you hit the last ditch mode. You start going, okay, God, if you help me find my keys, I will become a monk. Just, just help me find the keys, right? I know you hate me because I would have, wouldn't have lost the keys if you didn't hate me. But maybe, God, you can prove your love to me if you find the keys, right? That's last ditch. And then, then it's despair, right? You plop down on the couch. It's hopeless. You are hopeless. The universe is hopeless. Everything stinks because of that two-inch piece of metal. And that's your identity. For ten minutes. And then you reach down into the couch cushions and, oh, look, there they are. Right? And everything changes, right? Now, now you are the famous archaeologist, the best person who ever lived, because you discover wonders and things unseen in the universe. And your identity becomes different again. Tish Warren, she wrote this way. She said this. It's a little lengthy, but I wanted, it was so good I want to read it to you. Some days, my, sometimes my days run smoothly, like ticker tape. They hum along, pleasant enough, productive at times, my plans for the most part uninterrupted. And then something small happens. The slightest tear in the tape, and the whole thing halts and becomes an unbidden morality tale. The neediness and sinfulness, neurosis and weakness that I try to petty up, pretty up and manage through control, ease, and privilege are suddenly all on display. Small things go wrong. I feel hurried or overwhelmed, burdened by sad news or worried for a friend, and like a rising flood, inch by inch, the collective sadness and frustration mounts and I snap. I yell at my kids to quiet down. I slam the broken dishwasher door just a bit harder than necessary. I mutter something under my breath. If I were a lion, I would snarl. As it is, I brood. These unbidden unveilings in my day are insignificant compared to the immense suffering in our lives and in the broader world. There are people who face profound agony every day, chronic pain, heart-wrenching loss, desperation. In my own life, there have been seasons of deep sorrow. But this is not that. This is not the valley of the shadow of death. This is the roadside ditch of broken things and lost objects. 
the potholes of bloom, and unwanted interruptions. And here's where I find myself on an ordinary day, and here, in my petty anger and irritation, is where my Savior designs to meet me. These moments are an opportunity for formation, for sanctification. Underneath these overreactions and aggravations lie true fears. My lost keys reveal my anxiety that I won't be able to do what I need to do to take care of myself and those around me. They hit on my fear of failure and incompetency. The broken dishwasher uncovers my worries about money, but we have enough money to fix it. It exposes my idolatry of ease, my false hope in comfort and convenience. I just want things to run smoothly. Today, my lost keys provide a moment of revelation, revealing the lostness inside me and my misplaced reliance. When the day is lovely and sunny and everything is going according to plan, I can look like a pretty good person. But little things go, gone wrong and interrupted plans reveal who I really am. My cracks show and I see that I am profoundly in need of grace. But here's the thing. Pretty good people do not need Jesus. He came for the lost. He came for the broken. In his love for us, he came to usher us into his foundness and his wholeness. Who are you? According to the Breakfast Club, each one of you is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. And that might be true. You're certainly more than a single label can define. But what's also true is this. You are a beloved child of God redeemed by a gracious Savior. It's who you are. And that identity carries you through the valleys of the shadow of death, but it also carries you through the roadside ditch of lost objects and broken things. The daily stuff of life that seeks to undermine who you are and bring up your fears and your anxieties and your sins. And God says to you today, you are so much more than that. You are so much more. Because the creator of the universe who made and designed you, fearfully and wonderfully made, who died and rose for you, who calls you his own, says today, you're my kid. And always will be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you um, that through your word, that through people around us, Lord God, um, through instances and life events, Lord God, you, you speak into our lives. And Lord, we've all had someone uh, speak into our lives and say things that were not true. Lord, may your word, may your love, may your commitment to us, may your acceptance, may your grace override all. And so that our identity is founded and centered solely on you and what you've done for us.
And Lord, may we live every day out of that. May we live every moment out of that, even when we can't find the keys and the dog pukes on the carpet. Lord Jesus, in every moment, we are yours. In every way, we are yours. Lord, may we live in that so that all people might know your grace and your joy and your power. For you are God and you are good. Amen. Stand and praise our God.